You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. This is an incredible week, and it's not just a new building. Oftentimes when something new is happening in the natural, Jesus takes advantage of that opportunity to do something new in the spiritual in us. And we don't want to miss that moment of the newness because his newness is always there. And this, for the next few minutes this morning, he just wants to give us a reminder of something new he would like to do in our hearts. You know, for those of you who have been in this facility for a while, it gets familiar. You know which entrance you come into. You know which seat you always sit at. You know where to park, how to get here. Next weekend, everything's going to be new. There'll be no familiarity whatsoever. I think this is how Jesus wants us to do life with him, where it's always new, where we never get familiar with him. We always are some new adventure, some new revelation from him. So let me pray, and we're going to ask Jesus to show us something new as we prepare for this week. Lord, you were here before we got here this morning. You welcomed us into this place. So it is now with open hearts, open minds, Lord, we listen to you. Jesus, show yourself in a new way that we would worship you and know you and walk in the abundance of all you have for us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want you to take a look at the screen behind me because there's a verse that I'm going to put up, and this kind of is the amazing reminder for us this week. It says this, God our Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let that sink into your heart and soul for a moment. God, our Father, has blessed us in the heavenly realms. You can't even measure it by material ways. It's so much greater, so much grander than just the things of this earth. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, there is nothing within the context of God and His glory and His presence and His love that He doesn't want made available to you. Now you read that verse and you've got to come to the conclusion how valuable you are to Him. How much you matter to Him. That He would make this declaration over you. But sometimes, if we're honest, we struggle in seeing our value. And so we struggle in receiving this word into our hearts and into our minds. There's lots of different ways, you know, to look at the value of something. The way you value God is the way that you'll see how he values you. And he wants to show you himself in a whole new and fresh way. But it begins with knowing how you value Jesus. Society has lots of different ways of looking at value. One of the ways we value something is by asking the question, what's in it for me? What do I gain from this? We kind of do a cost-benefit analysis. We do that with work. If I'm going to give you 40 or 50 hours of my life, what will you pay me? What's in it for me? And we measure the value of work. We do that when we go shopping. If I'm going to pay for this, what will I get for it? We do it sometimes with relationships. If I'm going to give you part of my life, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? There's a whole other way that society values sometimes. And that's not what's in it for me, but what does culture dictate is really valuable. So a teenager will spend hundreds of dollars on a pair of tennis shoes he actually doesn't like, but culture says, these are valuable. You have to have these. And there's this other dictation of culture that says, no, this is what really matters. 
And sometimes we allow those ways of seeping into how we value God. And this morning, Jesus wants to give us a different reminder, a way in which he wants us to see his value that will give us a whole new revelation of understanding how he values us. And it comes out of a really unusual story that took place to Jesus that we're going to read. It's in the Gospel of Mark. It's in the 14th chapter, starting in the first verse, where Mark records this story for us to understand how we value Jesus and how Jesus values us. Verse 1, now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Mark weaves these three characters, Judas, the disciples, and then this very unusual lady as a way of contrast of how do we value Jesus, which completely impacts how we see our value to him. First, there's Judas. Judas is all about what's in it for me. He's heard Jesus say he's going to die. He knows the chief priests want to arrest him, so he knows it's game over, and he's trying to figure out how can I get the most out of Jesus. And for Judas, he's only going to measure by material benefit. The chief priests have a problem. They want to arrest Jesus. They want him dead, but it's the Passover. So there are hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem, and they know if we arrest him in public, there could be a riot. Jesus is hiding out, but they don't know where Jesus is. And Judas gets an idea. They don't come to him. He goes to them. And you know the story, 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of the absolute lowest slave that you could purchase. It's as if Judas is saying, Jesus is worth to me the price of the lowest human being on this planet. Jesus is worth to me more dead than alive. And this horrible betrayal takes place because all Judas can see is what is the material benefit that this guy offers to me. That's all that matters. This woman comes in and she's giving, but for Judas, he's only thinking about gaining. Now, we're not Judas, but sometimes that thought takes control when we measure the value of God. I'll give, but what am I going to get back out of it? I'll obey, but then I better get a life of ease and comfort and we define God's value by his material blessing in our life. Now, here's the catch. God actually wants to bless you materially. He wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you what you need in an abundant way. He just doesn't want you to divine, to find his value only by that. Because when you do that, you will miss out on so much more. God, our Father, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And when you define God's value only by material benefit, that's how you begin to see your value to Him. And when the material benefit isn't there, 
you'll begin to wonder, doesn't God care about me? Why hasn't he answered my prayer? Because you impose that same value on yourself. So Jesus says, here's this one guy, and that's all the way he could see it. Don't let that seep so strongly into your value of Jesus because it will really diminish how you see how much he values you. I learned this lesson at a very young age when Marie and I were first married. Our kids were little. We lived in Chicago. We had two cars because you have to have two cars. And God came and spoke to us and said, you know, give one of your cars away to a family that needed a car. Now, I don't know if this has happened to you, but has God ever told you to do something where he's wrong and you have to correct him? His math was all messed up because we needed two cars, we had two cars, and we didn't have money for a third car. So I said, God, your math is all messed up. What you need to do is find a Christian family that has three cars. They can give one away. They'll still have two. This other family I have two. We'll have two, and everybody will be happy in Jesus. And God really impressed upon us, no, I want you to give your car away. I remember having a conversation with my wife when I said this, I bet you Jesus is going to give us the coolest car ever. What's in it for me? And in his goodness and in his love and in his grace, he taught me this amazing lesson of not minimizing his value that way. I remember the day we went to give the car away. We took our kids along. And I watched my kids and their beaming faces as they were so proud to be a part of a family that would give its car away to another family. I thought about how God in his goodness, had lifted my faith that I would trust him and give a car away, even though I had no idea where another car would come from for us. I watched this family worship and give glory to God for answered prayer and knew that I was a part of that. Every spiritual blessing in Christ just bombarded and filled me. One month later, yeah, God did an amazing thing and provided us with another vehicle. But if that had been my only focus, I would have missed out on so much of a greater riches that he gives me. Mark says, listen, be careful. Do not allow your value of Jesus simply to be what's in it for me because that's how then you will see your value and you'll wonder, does God even care about me? Yeah. Then he brings this other character in. This is the disciples. They don't have a what's in it for me. They have a whole different approach. Their importance is value is what does culture dictate? It's the Passover. During the Passover season, Every Jewish believer is supposed to give a large offering to the poor. That's what the religious culture dictated. They see what they call a waste of money. And all they're thinking about is their religious obligation, their religious duty. And they see this waste of it and they go, wait a minute, that's not what matters. What matters is following the religious rules. What matters is fulfilling the religious obligations. They're not interested in giving, they're interested in duty. When my wife and I had our little church we were starting in America, and there was just a handful of people getting together, and one of the first guys who came in who got saved was John, 23 years old, never been in church, never read the Bible, didn't know anything about God. He got saved, saved. I mean, he just got completely transformed. About a month into his new life with Jesus, our church did a four-day of prayer and fasting, and we broke it on Sunday with communion. And I'll never forget that Sunday because we had this really wonderful church service and I saw John come in and he was just glowing. When the service was done, I was sitting, standing in the back with a couple of guys who had been in church their whole life and John comes bouncing up to me, smiling and glowing. He says, Joel, Joel, 
I, I love the fact that he was so new to Christianity, he didn't know the religious rule that he had to call me Pastor Joel. I was just Joel. Joel, I said, John, Joel, you wouldn't believe it. I said, what, John? He said, I fasted for four days. I said, no. He said, yeah. I went, wow, that's amazing. He goes, I know, I've never done that in my life. Then I came to church and I took communion. He said, Joel, I feel so spiritually alive and that is no BS whatsoever. <laughs> he actually said the word, but I didn't want to upset some of you in here this morning. And then the most tragic thing took place. One of the guys standing next to me, first words out of his mouth, John, you know you really shouldn't use that kind of language in church. And he missed out on the beauty of a moment because of the religious obligation of what really mattered. And Jesus wants us to be very careful that we don't find ourselves seeing our value in him by our religious performance and by the religious duty, which is what the disciples are doing. They miss the beauty of this moment. What a waste! Because of the religious obligation. And the enemy works to deceive us into thinking, that's what really will determine my value. So you know what we end up doing? We end up comparing. If I can find somebody that I'm holier than, then maybe God will see my value. I don't need to be holy. I just got to be holier than you. Then God will see my value. And it traps us, and we lose our freedom and we lose our joy. We're always struggling to see, does God really love me? Does God really like me? Look at the verse. God our Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There is no religious duty in this verse. Now, the Bible gives us all kinds of ways he wants us to live in honor to him because he knows it's our best life that we can live. But he says, do not fall into the trap of measuring your value by how well you perform for me. What's in it for me? My value is based upon what God will do for me. What does religious culture dictate? My value is based upon how well I perform for him. There must be another way there must be another way that allows me to really know his value and my value in him. And so Mark writes the story of this woman. She's not in it for what's in it for me. She's got nothing to gain. She knows that, according to the religious culture, she's going to take a lot of flack for what she just did. She comes to Jesus just because of his beauty just in awe of who he is. She doesn't know about the death or the resurrection. She doesn't know about eternity, the Holy Spirit. She just sees and knows, wow. Jesus says, she did a beautiful thing for me. And she sees this beauty that is there. It's hard to measure. And yet there's something in it that compels her in an amazing way. Years ago, my family, my wife, myself, our kids, we went to the Swiss Alps for a week's holiday. We did it for one reason to see the beauty of God's creation. There's nothing to be gained for it. I didn't preach at churches and get big love offerings. There's nothing religious that said this is a good place to have a pilgrimage. It was just the beauty. And to understand what this woman does, you got to understand the value of this flask. It comes from Nepal, a rare, rare ointment. You can only imagine what it would cost to bring it to this country. The story tells us of its value because it says it would take more than a year's wages I want you to imagine this. Let's say you get a job in Auckland, and Auckland is a really expensive city to live in. 
you got to provide for your family, your children. And you're not just a laborer, so you don't get a job that makes much money at, at all. Just a laborer. And you commit, you know what? Every year, I'm, we're going to put 5% of our income away into a savings account. No holidays, not a lot of fun. We barely can make ends meet as it is, but every year we're going to try to put 5% away into a savings account. And you do it. You scrimp. You cut corners. And somehow you manage to survive, and every year 5% gets put into a savings. It would take you 20 years to save up the amount of this perfume. 20 years of hardship, 20 years of saving for this amount of this perfume. This is what this lady did. 20 years. She has a year's worth of income that she has saved up, and in two minutes it's gone. 20 years of saving for two minutes. What did she see in Jesus that would cause her to give such a generous outpouring of love 20 years in two minutes? What did she behold? What beauty did she see that the disciples couldn't see? Jesus says, she did a beautiful thing to me. And he takes advantage of this moment to teach his disciples and to teach us about a whole different way to see his value so that we will then see our value. And he teaches them by saying this in verse 8. He, he says, she did what she could. Literally translated, she did what she had to do. She was compelled to do it. When you see someone, something so beautiful, it's like you lose control. You just have to do it. This woman didn't figure it out. She didn't do a cost-benefit analysis. She didn't measure it. She just had to pour out the perfume on her. Just had to do this. When we went to the Swiss Alps, a lot of times when you visit the Swiss Alps, the clouds come in and you can't see the mountains. We got there on a Tuesday, and that's how it was. We were in a hotel up nestled in the foothills of the huge Alps. On Wednesday morning, overnight, the clouds had parted. My wife got up early, and she went out to the balcony of our hotel. And she got out there, and she saw this huge Swiss Jungfrau. And she just screams, literally, out loud, yeah, just screams. She didn't mean to scream. She just had to do something looking at this beautiful mountain. I'm laying in bed. I think she's falling off the balcony. <laughs> I race out to the balcony, half-dressed. I don't even look at her. I see it. Honest to God, I see it first thing out of my mouth. Jesus. Jesus. I didn't plan to do it. When I saw the beauty of God's creation, I lost control like my wife did. We were just compelled to do it. When was the last time you discovered the beauty of Jesus in such a way that like this woman, you just had to do something. I just had to tell my neighbor because of his beauty. I just had to give because of his beauty. I just had to open his word and look for him because of his beauty. Jesus says, listen, when you see my value this way, the beauty of who I am, then you will really discover your value in me? She did a beautiful thing to me. Can you imagine being the woman and hearing Jesus say that about you? You did a beautiful thing to me. She wasn't what's in it for me. She wasn't doing religious duty. She was just captivated by his grace and his love and his beauty and his awe. And she discovered her value when she saw his value. And then Jesus adds another part of this teaching where he says, listen, what she did 
any place in the world where the gospel is told, this is a story that needs to be told. Because the world is an ugly place. And they don't need judgment. They need beauty. They don't need religious rules. They don't need selfishness. They need the beauty and the awe of Jesus that is there. I mean, look at this building. It's a bit of an older building. And if you've ever done the back tour, it's not that great. It leaks, water comes through the roof, you know. There's all these little mazes. People who work here understand it, you know. It's, there's parking, not that great. You all understand that part about it. It's like, ah, this old building, it's kind of ugly. But for many of you, even this moment is really precious. Because in the middle of a kind of ugly building, you met an incredibly beautiful Jesus. You came face to face with his beauty, and the building didn't matter. I mean, listen to what Pastor Paul told us. Next weekend, we're going to be in this new, really beautiful building. The people who come in from society who don't know Jesus, they're going to look at the building and go, wow. But when they see your faces beholding the beauty of Jesus... That's what changes them. When they see the beauty of Jesus, his love, his awe through you, that's what will change them. This is what Jesus wants the disciples to know. And it's a reminder for us this week. Listen, don't ever be familiar with Jesus. It's always new. It's not what's in it for me. It's not what the religious duty is. It's his beauty and his love and his awe and his grace. If I can hold that, then I will know my value. So the question is, where, how do we discover his beauty? Jesus knew we would ask that question. So he gives us a clue in his story when he says, what she did, she did to prepare for my burial. Get this, she did a beautiful thing, but she's preparing for my death. It seems like it's contradictory. What Jesus is teaching is this. You want to see my beauty? You're going to see it in my ugliest moment. You're going to see it on the cross. That's where you're going to see my beauty and your value. Mark puts right next to this story, the story of the Last Supper, where he gathered the disciples together. And he wants them to know his beauty and his love and his grace. So he takes bread. And he gives them the bread. And he says, this, this is my life. This is my body. It's my life for you. He gives his life. And it's this beautiful act, but the beauty and your value is found in who he is. He would stand up and he would make this declaration. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I know the way. He didn't say, follow me into this. He says, no, I am. And because he said that, people hated him and people wanted to kill him. The Bible says that we made him our enemy. Now understand this. We made him our enemy. How valuable are you to him? Our enemy died for us. As a dad, if I die for my kids, that's valiant but understandable. I'm a dad, my kids. If I die for a friend, that's amazing, but there's a connection. If I die for a stranger, that's heroic. Didn't even know who he was, but I was willing to take a bullet for him. But an enemy, dying for an enemy, enemies conquer, enemies destroy, enemies get rid of the threat. You are so valuable to God that while you were his enemy, he died for you. That's his beauty. That's your value. Then he takes the cup, which is a symbol of judgment. 
We take the cup of communion, but remember in the garden, Jesus said, God, if there's any way I don't have to take this cup, because he's taking on the judgment. And a lot of times people will say to me, why do we need all that wrath of God stuff? Why do we need all that judgment stuff? They actually see it as removing beauty from him. You will never know your value until you understand the wrath of God, because it is a window into your value. Imagine this. I've got a 13-year-old daughter, and she's going to school, and she's being bullied horrifically. As a dad, I get really angry. This is my daughter. You may think bullying is wrong, but you're not going to get angry like I'm going to get angry. There's going to be a wrath that rises inside of me because I love my daughter, and I don't want her hurt. The wrath of God is a window into the love that he has for you because he sees his children being hurt and hurting each other and he gets really angry about it because of his love. If he didn't love you, if you had no value to him, he wouldn't care what you did to each other. He'd just walk away from it. But because he loves you and you have such great value, there's this wrath that comes up inside. Then he does this in order to break the power that is creating all this harm amongst each other. He said, I'll put it on myself. I'll make my son the bully and have him take the penalty for it. How much value are you to Jesus? He says, you want to see my beauty? You'll see it in the cross. I give my life to you even though you made me an enemy. I will take on the judgment because there's so much love that the power of sin and evil be broken over you and you live lives of victory and fullness. Never minimize the beauty of Jesus to just a material definition because you will miss out on so much more. Never find yourself trapped by a religious duty to measure your value because you will find yourself trapped. But see his beauty at what the world would say is his ugliest moment, but we know it was his most beautiful moment because he was giving us a picture of our value I was talking to a lady, and she said, Joel, you know, I believe in God. I just don't really believe in the whole cross thing. And I asked her a question. I said, what did it cost your God to love you? And she thought for a second, and she said, really, nothing. I said, my God, it cost him everything to love me. I said, which one of us do you think have a greater sense of value of how God sees us? Because it cost him everything. Jesus says, learn from this woman. If you really want to know your value, if you really want to know how precious you are, if you really want to know all of the blessings, learn from this woman. Do what she did. Be, once again, amazed. This week, when we go from the familiar to the brand new, let it not just be a natural event in the physical between two campuses. Let it be a spiritual event that when we close this service and we walk into the new auditorium next weekend, we go, Jesus, show me yourself new all over again, and you will know how valuable you are to him. We thought it would be really important that we end this service with doing what the woman did. We don't have a flask of perfume, but we have our mouths 
We have our words. We have our hands. Most importantly, we have our hearts. And the worship team is going to come up here, and we're going to sing a worship song to him. And I want to encourage you, as you worship Jesus, see yourself as this woman. I want you to stand to your feet with me. Maybe you came here this morning and your life has got a lot of worries in it. God knows that. We know that. God is answering that. But for this next few minutes, do what the woman did. She was compelled. She just had to worship. She just had to worship. This woman didn't think about the other people who were in that room. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what they would say. Maybe you've never lifted your hands as you've come here to sing to Jesus, and it feels a little awkward, maybe today is the moment you lift your hands because it doesn't matter what other people think. I just want to behold his beauty. And if you do that, if you lean in like the woman did, God, not because of my earthly words, but by his spirit, will show you your value in a whole new and fresh way. When you worship him simply for his beauty and who he is, you will discover by the spirit of God who you are and who he made you to be. Join me and let's be like this woman. Let's worship the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.